Hey everyone, welcome back to the Blackchain Podcast. And today's episode is actually going to be very important because I think we're at a big turning point, a big transition in the crypto space. And if you've been listening to the podcast over the last several weeks and several months, I've been calling uh, the end of the bear market, which is, I believe, firmly behind us and predicting, you know, a bull market and a continued rise, which we've been seeing over the last several weeks and several months. So at the very least, it looks like my... uh, Predictions have been correct, and now I think we're at a point where we really need to sit back and we really need to understand what's going on and where we're going in the projects that I believe will uh, survive and continue to flourish and grow in this kind of new transition, this new era. Now, before I kind of jump into it, I want to kind of temper that a little bit and say that you know we're not necessarily going to go into a blow-off top sort of situation right away. We're probably not going to hit 20000 for a bit of time, but it's also possible that it it does uh, rise very quickly and that we blow past 6500 6800 7000 and then we move to 10000 plus in a very short time frame it's not it's not uh uh, unlikely or it's not impossible I should say for that to happen do I think it's likely um, probably not I actually hope not I'm a little bit biased in that uh, in that regard it's I do want to see a steady transition I do want to see a steady rise but I've also seen just about every bull run in this Bitcoin space since inception since about 2010 and so I have been on this roller coaster for quite some time and what I am seeing is a very distinct difference a very distinct transition uh, a lot of signals that indicate that uh, we're actually actually past the bear market, like I said, and something else is happening and I am seeing stability and I am seeing sentiment and things growing and positive indicators and usage and all sorts of things. But I want to talk about that in detail as well as just the latest news and then also kind of temper or at least set people's expectations on Bitcoin a little bit because it's easy for everyone to assume that Bitcoin, especially uh, Bitcoin Core with Lightning, is going to be the dominant player in the future for you know uh, a store of value and as a transaction uh, mechanism or currency I should say, and that's not necessarily the case. You know I do see the potential and a strong potential actually for a multi-currency uh, world, which I think was something that obviously we have now, and I think something we'll see in the crypto space. But I want to really talk in detail about why that is and the mechanics of that. And so I think uh, this is going to be a pretty uh, enlightening podcast hopefully and it's going to be some deep thoughts that I have and that I've been thinking for quite some time and it also could be completely wrong and incorrect and I might end up uh, having the wrong kind of outlook but I think uh, with all the information that I've have and all the research that I've been doing for many 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 years and watching this space every single day for many many years um, I think I'm at least qualified to kind of take a guess at what I think the outlook looks like. With that said, let's jump right into it. And let's start just with some high-level news that uh, we heard in the last couple weeks. Um, this, Or I should say the last week. This past week, we had the Binance hack where about $41 million or 7,000 Bitcoin were stolen. Um, that was only a big deal because, you know, the, the uh, CEO, he uh, talked about potentially uh, doing a uh, chain reorganization, including with miners, essentially, and trying to figure out if they could reverse some of the transactions that occurred. Now, it's just something that was open for discussion. It's not something that was possible to do in reality. I mean, it'd be very, very difficult to pull off, if not mostly impossible. But a lot of people in Twitter space and in the news were like, oh, you know, this is going to kill Bitcoin, nuke Bitcoin. 
blah, blah, blah. Why were you even considering this? And there's all this drama. You know, if, if you understand how the mechanics work and how mining works and how, you know, uh, you would have to get this consensus from the miners, you wouldn't even necessarily be able to do it in time. You would, you know, have multiple blocks that would probably pass before you even know that you're hacked. Maybe they knew right away. Then you have to call up your buddies and they'd have to, you know, try and stop that transaction right away before multiple blocks went through. And, you know, it's I won't get into all the details, but I guess the high level aspect is a reorg is not really possible. It's in theory possible. But it's very, very, very difficult to pull off socially. It's very, very difficult to pull off mechanically just from a computational point of view. And it wasn't going to happen. So it's really a big nothing sort of story. But it did, you know, bring about a lot of emotions by people because a reorganization of the chain by some entity is, is, a, is a kind of an affront to the whole Bitcoin uh, uh, ethos, if you will. But um, from my perspective, not really uh, something that was possible um, just talking out loud sort of thing. That's what you do in a crisis mode. You talk out loud and you figure out all your options, but was never really an issue. So big nothing story from my perspective. Um, next thing would be the uh, just the rise of Bitcoin. And Bitcoin today at the, at the time of this recording is at about 6,700. And it looks like, you know, we see a little bit of parabol- parabolic look in there that it's really kind of rising pretty quickly. You know, that it's kind of looking uh, like it might launch and it has been moving quite quickly. So with that, it's 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 easy to kind of jump on board and say, OK, this thing's going to the moon again. You know, get on board. Let's this thing's taken off. But, you know, I hope we actually don't see that. I know a lot of people just want to see it go to the moon, but I don't want to see that because it's not healthy for a number of reasons. One, uh, because it's just, you know, when you see these things, they always come down hard. If things go up super fast, they come down hard. Um, there's also the aspect of fees, you know, on-chain fees. When the price of Bitcoin goes way up and people get excited and people start buying, you get this fervor and then you get these super high fees and you get people talking about scaling. This time around, maybe people start jumping to lightning and it'll, and it'll uh, get more people to kind of adopt that. But it's not easy. It's not user-friendly. And I think we're a couple years away from that. So it'd still be premature. So even if Bitcoin does start rising like crazy, it'll probably uh, actually push you know more people to use Bitcoin Cash or things of that nature or even Dash or other, other currencies that you know, uh, will alleviate some of the fee problems that will inevitably occur if Bitcoin rises uh, too high too fast. The other thing that'll happen is you'll have more miners come on board. This is kind of a side thing. Maybe you have more investment in mining technology, um, but we also have a lot of mining equipment that's been stagnant and stale for quite some time as the price drops. So it might just even things out. And but more things will come online as the price goes up. But that's a whole separate conversation about mining that I, I don't want to have now. But overall, the big idea is that we are looking like uh, we're in a different sort of market at this point, and that uh, a rise too fast is not necessarily a healthy thing. And there's probably a lot of people who maybe are underwater, uh, especially since the last time we were around the 6,000s was, I think, uh, Q3 or Q4 of last year. Then we had that big falling off where we had uh, a bunch of strain by uh, big companies that they they just had to basically liquidate their positions of crypto. And I think that's what actually caused the big downdraft is there was just so much price pressure from the collapse last year that, uh, you know, companies were really hurting. They had to downsize, had to liquidate crypto assets that put a lot of pressure on uh, assets across the board. And that caused that fall from 6,000 something all the way down to, you know, the low 3,000s. And so I think we've recovered from that. And I think we've stabilized from that. And I think the companies involved have also become stable as well. There's been a lot more adoption in a lot of different ways, a lot more uh, acceptance, I should say, around the world in a lot of different ways. And so I think we're in a much stronger position than we were even 
back when we're at 6,000. So I wouldn't be surprised to see it eventually move, you know, somewhere between, uh, you know, seven to 10,000 in the next handful of months. We might see a pullback in the short term, but anything's possible. But I wouldn't, I wouldn't be surprised to see things higher because I do think we're in a stronger position than we were, you know, at the uh, very depths of last, uh, last year in Q3, Q4 in 2018. So I think this is kind of the most important part is what I'm going to talk about next is how this industry is going to develop from here on out. And so as I kind of alluded to at the beginning of this podcast is that it's easy to think that Bitcoin will always be the king, that it's number one, that it'll always be number one. But I'm not so sure of that. And I'm not so sure of that because there are problems with Bitcoin and there are issues with, you know, uh, the usability of Lightning, the balancing of uh uh, of uh, channels. There are issues with centralization of uh, channels and things of that nature. And it, there are issues that, you know, can be resolved over time that can be resolved with technical aptitude that can be resolved with, you know, um, increased usability and investment. But it doesn't necessarily mean that something like Dash or something like Bitcoin Cash that are on chain that may be simpler. And I think Dash is, you know, is a pretty pretty interesting project to um, potentially take some of uh, Bitcoin's um, payment sort of uh, value, if you will. So I think Bitcoin for sure, I think will be a store of value. I think it's like gold. I think it's heavy. You know, a Bitcoin on chain is heavy. It's reliable. It's kind of, you know, this deflationary sort of system. You, It's understandable. It's all fixed. It's just very rigid. You know, yeah, the innovation speed is very slow. And, and over time, it might even become more and more, um, I won't say impossible, more and more difficult for it to change. So that's kind of a good thing in a way. And it's kind of a bad thing in another way. It, the bad part is that innovation with new technology and efficiencies are harder to get uh, in place and consensus on accepting those. But at the same time, people know what they're dealing with. And that's kind of how I look at gold is it, it's, it's kind of hard to move. But people know what its supply is. They know what its supply trajectory is. They understand it. They're familiar with it. And Bitcoin has a lot of those analogies. That doesn't mean that people transact in gold. It doesn't mean that people, you know, use it as a medium of exchange. It doesn't mean that they carry gold coins around and they pay for it. it it's not as nimble as it uh, should be. And back in the day, it was fine that you had gold coins. You didn't have digital currency and things like that. So it worked. But we're, we're far beyond that. And I think people, when they're actually looking to adopt a currency to use, it needs to function as currency does today or better. And that means that it needs to be instant, it needs to be ubiquitous, it needs to be easy to use and all of those things. And I think something like Dash actually presents a lot of those value propositions, maybe without, you know, as much decentralization or as much, uh, you know, uh, awareness as far as the project goes or uh, name recognition like Bitcoin. But it does fill this aspect of um, a payment sort of uh, currency or cryptocurrency. So I do see Bitcoin's payment payment uh, value proposition or payment capacity or payment, you know, sort of value being shifted to other currencies. And it even could be things like XRP. It could be things like uh, Stellar. It could be things like uh, Litecoin. But I, I also look at Litecoin, I should say, as very similar to Bitcoin. It's going to have the same scaling issues. It's still relying on Lightning. It's not relying on big blocks. And so, or nodes or other things like that, or proof of stake or blah, 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 blah. It's, it's definitely very much like Bitcoin. So Bitcoin, Litecoin, basically the same thing. Um, Bitcoin cash is different. It's going the big block sort of route. And a lot of people, 
hate on Bitcoin Cash, but if you really dig into the reasoning behind uh, why they're looking at big blocks and, and mining fees and things like that, there is a rationale to it. And it's very deep and it's very subtle if you're not deep in the space. But at some point, the Bitcoin block rewards are going to become so small that it may not be enough to incentivize people to secure the network. And so one method of doing that is to to handle that or deal with that is to move things off chain. And another method is to create bigger blocks. So you have more transactions in those blocks. And so by having more transactions and having fees, you have a you know more fees overall in that block and that incentivizes miners to mine on, say, the Bitcoin Cash Network or the Bitcoin SV Network, although I think Bitcoin SV is garbage, mostly because I think Craig Wright is a, is a weirdo. But uh, with Bitcoin, it's they want to have high fees on-chain, and they need high fees on-chain to you know, incentivize use of the Lightning Network, but also to make it such that the, you know, the miners are incentivized, they need big fees. And so they need a lot of people using Lightning and they need, you know, settlement periodically on chain from Lightning. And that's, it's not, it's not actually a um, foregone conclusion or it's not actually certain how that, that develops, um, especially as again, the fees uh, are reduced for the block reward. So it's, it's not a slam dunk. And I, and I think that's the, the point to drive home is that Bitcoin may not be the dominant currency, the dominant cryptocurrency for payments in the future. I do believe at this point that it will be the dominant currency as, to, as a store of value, but it very well may not be the dominant currency for payments. Okay, that's very important to at least internalize and at least think about when you're uh, looking at diversification. I think lightning, lightning is very similar to Bitcoin. It will run into the same problems. It might end up being a secondary as Bitcoin starts working out its scaling issues or usability of lightning, but Litecoin will run into the same issues. Bitcoin Cash you may not run into the same issues, but you will have centralization due to just the requirements of larger and larger nodes. But maybe, you know, that happens after a period of time and you can deal with that. It does have less security than the Bitcoin network, uh, the Bitcoin core network, because it uh, has far less hashing power. That's a discussion for another time. Uh, but that's also why I don't think that Bitcoin Cash will be viewed as a store of value because network security is very important. But maybe it will be if, you know, there's enough fees in the... Uh, um, blocks and maybe more people shift to Bitcoin Cash, mining Bitcoin Cash for his Bitcoin. Who knows? Um, then you have other coins like or other uh, projects like Ethereum, Cardano, and Tezos. And those are what I look at as smart contract platforms. And so those will play a role too. But Ethereum, Ethereum, I've always had kind of this, you know, suspicion of. Uh, you know, they're doing a lot of work to move to proof of stake. They're doing a lot of work to include sharding and scalability things and second layer stuff. And, you know, it may end up that Ethereum is very strong and has a very, you know, high value and that maybe it takes on some sort of aspects of store of value. I don't think it will. And I think that there will be aspects of it that are very, very interesting, like projects like MakerDAO and DAI. Um, Augur is kind of interesting, not as not as interesting to me as Maker. Um, uh, and uh, die, but things like Maker and Die, if those get big enough alone, they could support you know a high value for Ethereum. Uh, I suppose for a time being, while they're doing single collateral, as multi collateral comes up board, it becomes less valuable um, as it's tied to the project. But Ethereum is kind of a weird little project, or a, a, I shouldn't say little. It's a weird project because. It's not really a good application for dApps. It is a good amp, uh, application for these smart sort of contracts, which is kind of tokenization of projects. But it also has kind of lost a lot of steam after the ICO craze. And so there, 
there are aspects of it that are very interesting from a first mover point of view, um, from projects that have been building for several years. And I, I, if I mentioned a handful off the top of my head, it would be, like I said, uh, Maker, MakerDAO, Die, uh, I think Bat, the basic attention tokens, kind of interesting. Uh, Decentraland, that's kind of interesting with Mana. But all of these are tokens, you know, on projects that are have been developing uh, as well. And it's really dependent on those handful of projects being successful. And I haven't seen any really new killer ones. I should also add Augur to that as well. So I feel like, and I could be wrong, that the ecosystem for Ethereum is kind of stagnant uh, at the at the base layer, if you will. And there's a lot of development. Don't get me wrong, there's a lot of development, but the 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 potential, I suppose, for new projects, new killer projects coming on board uh, and, uh, and really building on top of Ethereum, I just am not seeing the fervor that I used to see. And so I'm not too not too sure on Ethereum at this point. And then there are things like Cardano, which, you know, is still working on deploying, you know, this very, you know, scientific formal method sort of uh, blockchain, which I do actually think could be very value uh, to enterprise sort of folks or big banking or institutional. And so it's it's kind of heavy in that way, but it's very interesting in just the if they can assure folks, if they can assure countries that they can build their financial system on Cardano, then it's an interesting value proposition that's very different than Ethereum. Ethereum's kind of, you know, been branded as this ICO sort of token network. And, you know, branding and and, and people's views are very important for the outlook of a project. But as far as Cardano or Cordano, Cardano, don't know how you say it exactly. Uh, different people say it different ways, but say Cardano, um, it, uh, it has this more enterprisey feel. It has this more uh, professional feel. And then there's Tezos, which is, it, in my mind, its branding and its feel is less professional and somewhere in between Ethereum and Cardano, where it's a very, it's, it's, I shouldn't say very, it is an interesting consensus mechanism. It is an interesting proof of stake system. It's fine. It doesn't necessarily have any particular performance advantages over, say, Cardano. But, um, you know, it's, it's a project that I think has a decent chance of being pretty decentralized uh, based on the mechanics of how its proof of stake system works. And so I think it's an interesting project. I feel like it's something like... Um, I, I don't know if I'd call it Litecoin to Bitcoin uh, as far as smart co contracts go. I think Cardano will end up being the more professional smart contracts uh, platform. And then Ethereum will be kind of uh, carry these projects that uh, started off on it early. And then, you know, Tezos will fall somewhere in there. I don't think it's a particularly strong project from a brand, from a market adoption, from a developer acceptance and, and building on top of it. But over time, you know, the value of its decentralized kind of capacity may be interesting to folks. So other sort of projects that I find interesting are Monero um, for privacy. And let, let's jump into privacy. I should say the privacy coins of Monero, Zcash, Dash, um, Horizon. I actually do like Horizon. It's been on a tear lately, uh, formerly known as Zcash, actually. One of my favorite projects from a very highly speculative point of view. And I've mentioned that a handful of times, but I really, really like the project and how the team's managed. But I think, you know, t uh, Dash is, again, a very strong one from a privacy point of view, very strong one from, you know, name recognition, ease of use, payment system. And then Monero is very strong for its, you know, uh, complete privacy. You know, uh, every transaction is um, obfuscated. It's uh, completely privacy from start to finish. There's no option for transparent addresses. And I look at Grin potentially being, you know, somewhat of a competitor to Monero at this point because of both of them being highly privacy-centric 
coins that is that uh, are just really focused on that. So I think either both Grin and Monero will have a future uh, going into this next bull market. I don't know how strong it'll be, um, but I think it is, as fung- if fungibility for Bitcoin is ever challenged, I think these privacy coins will really, really take off. And I think if that, if it doesn't happen, if fungibility isn't a, um, a challenge with Bitcoin, I think they will exist and they will be a very useful product in the ecosystem. But Dash might end up having an edge just because it's also taking into account a lot of other things and it has marketing aspects and teams and so forth. So projects that I don't really like um, going into this next bull run is I, I don't like Bitcoin Gold. I don't really see a purpose for it at this point, especially with other projects on board. I don't think it's particularly well managed. Um, I, I don't really like Ethereum Classic. I don't really see a particular value proposition that's strong there. I see a bit of disorganization in the structure of you know the developer eco uh, community, I should say foundation all of that i just don't see it as particularly functional i don't like neo actually i think neo is basically getting a complete reboot in 3.0 it's almost like i mean they're even transitioning tokens and it's like scrapping the entire project don't like it um it could end up being a good value and it might come back because i think it may have some decent recognition name recognition in china and the asian markets but don't like it ethereum classic i think also does have some decent recognition in the asian markets but don't particularly like um, how it's managed both of those i may also have a very skewed understanding because i am not intimately aware of the asian markets and how they perceive things whether it's the chinese japanese south koreans um, they may be very popular and viewed very differently than i view them here in the united states and in western uh, countries so keep that in mind so take those dots with a grain of salt wouldn't be bad to include them in a diversified sort of smart contract portfolio but um, from my perspective don't like them that much I am evaluating Maker, um, the Maker token. It has some governance aspects that are interesting as far as uh, you know managing DAI. It has also the downside, I suppose, of it being coined of the, the um, token of last resort if there's any problems with collateral for DAI. And so I'm digging a bit deeper into Maker and how that can develop over time. But I think the general thesis is if you think DAI, the DAI, you know, the stable coin is going to be adopted more and more in the crypto space, then it's probably bullish for Maker. Um, I still have to kind of unwind that analysis and, and make a determination in my mind. But there have been some folks who are pretty, you know, influential who have invested in Maker. It is about, I don't know, somewhere around its midpoint. It's not at its lowest, it's not at its highest, but it's somewhere in the middle. And with a little bit more research, I'm, I may come to a more formal conclusion on my recommendation or thoughts uh, as, it, as it pertains to addition to uh, the portfolio. Um, things like Ontology and NEM, don't know a ton about them, to be honest with you. I, I think M&EM, in, in, as a peripheral sort of uh, view or, or at least analysis, it seems like it's some blockchain that's out there that nobody uses and I don't know much about. And I, I should probably dig and understand it better, but I've never been particularly impressed when I have. Um, so stand by on that. I may end up doing another dive at some point, but I, I just don't. I don't get the feeling that it's a particularly interesting project. Basic attention token. Um, basic attention token, it's interesting in what they're trying to do. They do have a good browser. I talked about that in one of my other podcasts. I do like what they're trying to do, but how they develop their ecosystem will be interesting. And my personal um, interactions with the, the team at Brave and how they manage it in a very centralized manner, in a very opaque manner, 
Um, it's, it's not particularly well run from a management point of view. Uh, however, it seems to be the only uh, competitor in the space, and I haven't seen any other um, kind of ad-based uh, token that uh, is competing. So it's, it's kind of like a solo operator in this space, and it does have potential to uh, become something interesting and grow over time. But I, but I think that the economics of the buy-sell side are not particularly well-defined, and I think that has to be you know better articulated and better understood before I would really get behind a bullish sort of sentiment behind the token. Um, let's see, going down the list, there's Dogecoin, you know, who doesn't love Dogecoin? I've actually never owned any Dogecoin. Uh, I think, you know, don't like investing in memes or jokes, even if it goes up and down, it's kind of sporadic and it's just kind of this, you know, there's not a lot of fundamentals to go off of and don't really need it when we have all these other projects that are actually decent and good and building and growing. Um, Decred, I, I've always had kind of a interesting you know, uh, outlook on Decred, or, or at least a, a positive but uh, muted outlook for Decred. I think the technology and the governance and the proof-of-stake, proof-of-work hybrid solution, they've done a lot of innovative things, and I've followed Decred for quite some time now, but I don't see the marketing and the story and the usability. I don't see those as particularly powerful um, uh, storylines. I don't see it as very particularly powerful for the the brand. I think the the name Decred. I actually personally think it's an absolutely stupid name for a cryptocurrency. D- decentralized credit. I, I think it's really stupid. Um, I um, I apologize if I'm offending anybody out there, but I think it's idiotic. Uh, I I think it should be rebranded, but it might be too late for that. But I do like the fact that they do have their own uh, mining hardware that uh, others have built. You know, Bitmain's built some in a silicon. So they do have a a network that is strong and that is basically dedicated to the Decred network. They do have the proof of stake. They do have the proof of work hybrid. It is a secure network that's uh, pretty resilient to a double spend. It has a weird staking sort of system with tickets. It does have a political or politia, poli- I don't know, what, politia or whatever they call it, where you can vote for different proposals for innovation of the blockchain. Um, so they have all these things, but really it just flies under the radar. It doesn't really get a lot of publicity, and I think the name's terrible. So I do own some Decred. I do follow the project. I've considered adding more to the position, but I just don't see... Um, a value proposition that 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 uh, indicates a concentrated precision. Rather, I think it's more a, a part of a diversified cryptocurrency portfolio. Um, let's see, Omnisco. I haven't actually followed that closely. You know, I, I should probably jump back into that and look at those Qtum or Quantum. Don't know how you say that in particular. We need to do a little bit more research. Had some interest in some projects developing on top of that at one point, but that kind of fell to the wayside. Waves, you know, it's it's just kind of another thing. Don't have any particular thoughts on that. Augur could be interesting. It is the prediction market for, um, uh, it's kind of this decentralized prediction market. Now, how popular that will be and how easy it is to use that and how much adoption, it's kind of waned a bit over the, you know, launch of the system on the mainnet. Um, I'd have to jump back in. It is interesting in the sense that, uh, in the same sort of sense that I'm interested in, say, BAT or, you know, Decentraland, MANA sort of tokens, because it is a real application. It is a real technology. Um, Some people are using it. The question is, is whether it will grow and whether it's filling, you know, a particular 
niche in the market. And I think it is. And it doesn't have a ton of competitors either. So it does have a place. But the question is, is what is its value? Is it overvalued? Is it undervalued? Will it grow? Those are all very open questions. And as we keep going down the list, there's all sorts of other projects and we start getting really into the weeds. I'll kind of pick off a handful of other ones that I, you know, kind of follow and have some opinions on. Uh, one of those would be Sciacoin. Sciacoin has been, you know, kind of trending somewhat negatively over the last several weeks and several months. It is one of the only file sort of storage, um, uh, file storage blockchain projects in addition to storage and Filecoin uh, as well. And so I, I do like it from that sense in that it, that it is filling a particular a sector um, and that uh, as part of a diversified portfolio, um, I, I might add it to my kind of storage sort of token um, uh, sector or uh, allocation, if you will. But as far as how it's managed and how it's run, I'm not particularly impressed with that. It seems to be poorly managed, in my opinion. I think the user interface and the user experience has gotten better with their uh, Draco release, but I'd have to jump back into that and take a look. It could actually end up being a very undervalued project at this point, but I'm not convinced that that's the case. And it, But if it is, you know, it could be a multi-billion dollar market cap project pretty easily, and it has been in the past, something on that order, and that would be, you know, something like... Uh, Looks like ten to you know, if ten uh, x would be a billion market cap, and you know three billion market cap would be a thirty x. So it does have potentially a high potential, um, but that depends on you know whether they can actually grow and whether it is something that uh, um, can, is sustainable. Um, let's see other other projects as I'm kind of moving down the list on coin market cap. I do like Horizon. I mentioned that earlier. I really like Horizon a lot. I think the team is very well managed. I think they have some uh, real investors. They have Horizon Labs now that's going to be focusing on enterprise sort of development of uh, side chains. And you know, it, it is just another privacy coin. It is a fork of Zcash, but it is well managed. And I, I can't emphasize that enough. You know, the projects in the future say that uh, crypto is, you know, something. And there are multiple cryptocurrencies in the uh, that people are using. I do feel that Horizon will move from where it is now in 76 spot at a $74 million market cap to potentially uh, market cap in the hundreds of millions to billions, you know, and that's a big jump from a, from an investment point of view is it jumps, you know, 10 X hundred X. So it has a huge multiplier potential if it catches on, you know, uh, like say dash, uh, as Dash was in the past, you know, when we had the big uh, bubble run. So if it could reach something like that and, you know, uh, and not be so obscure, then, you know, you're talking about a, a big, a big ROI. And like I said, uh, it, it's being managed by a good, a good set of folks. So I, I do like that project a lot for those reasons. And as we continue to move down, you know, you start getting into the weeds of, you know, red coin and Z coin and weird stuff like that, which I, I have particularly no interest in at this point. There may be some hidden gems as you move further and further down the list uh, on, say, uh, market cap. But so far, those are the ones that uh, I've mentioned in this that I, I think are very much worth watching. I think as we move through this next cycle in the crypto space that the projects that have been around for a while, um, you have a lot of history to base your understanding on. You have a lot of understanding as far as what their trajectory is. You have a lot of understanding as far as their management style and how things are developing. And so I think I have a pretty good vision of what is going to be around in the future. 
Um, and I think a lot of these obscure coins and all these, you know, those, those you know, I, they're just not worth betting on. You might get lucky and you might hit, you know, a jackpot on a, one here or there, but it's just not, it's not uh, 2017 anymore. You, you really need to go with projects that are going to be around that are going to continue to develop, that are going to continue to grow, and that are filling a real niche and a real need. And I see those in the, uh, in some respects, in the different projects that I found. Now, where I think there are also, oh, I should also mention EOS. I, I do like EOS, but EOS, I find, is in a class of its own. It's a, it's kind of the, again, I don't really like to call it a decentralized blockchain. It's, it's kind of like this distributed ledger um, sort of system with, it's kind of like an AWS sort of system that's distributed. But with that said, it does have a lot of p- things going on. It does have a very active community. It has things like the resource exchange, what they call Rex. It has a name service for accounts. It has, you know, um, the fast sort of uh, execution speeds. It's a very fast blockchain. And so I don't see it as being something like a store of value or anything like that. I see it as being kind of this. Um, application blockchain like AWS. And so I do think it has a place and I do see it standing kind of on its own at this point. There may be other projects like it that, you know, tout high, high sort of transactions rates that are relatively centralized. And that's fine there. I'm sure there's a handful of others out there. Um, Probably some that I should really know a lot more about than I do. But EOS is filling a particular role. um, And I and I think that's fine. I don't know where quite where the the value will go the price will go I think it could be overvalued at this point or it could be very undervalued. Uh, One thing to note about EOS is that they are um, going to be announcing something big on June 1st, which is the anniversary of the deployment of their blockchain. And some people are speculating that it's some sort of social media thing. Some people are speculating that it's some sort of money uh, thing, some sort of banking thing. Who knows what it is, but, you know, if it is very powerful and is very, you know, influential, it could be very interesting to watch June 1st what happens with uh, the EOS uh, token and the EOS blockchain. Um, probably missed a few other projects in there, but I'm kind of running a little long here, but that kind of gives you a flavor of what I think overall. And to kind of close things out, if you've made it this far, maybe you kind of deserve this. There are projects that I may have mentioned this earlier, but I'll mention them again that I don't particularly like, and, uh, that could change over time, but that's the current status of where things are in my mind. I don't like Bitcoin cash SV BSV. Um, I don't like IOTA. I don't like uh, IOTA uh, very much at all. I I don't have strong feelings on Tron, but my gut from uh, just understanding the management team and so forth is I don't particularly like Tron that much, but it could be very popular in the Asian markets. Um, Neo, I don't like because it's basically being reset. I don't think it's managed particularly well. And I've, I've read stories and I've listened to folks about trying to work with the Neo community and Neo blockchain, and they have not been positive. I don't particularly like XRP um, because I feel like it uh, it feels too shilly for me. It feels like a shill coin, and XRP is not really actually needed uh, uh, for Ripple's core sort of settlement sort of system, and so it's a little bit mysterious. It is kind of just like this ledger that you know you can transfer things quickly and fast, and it does seem like people use it in different parts of the world and so forth, uh, even XLM. But I, but I don't, I don't see the killer application other than, you know, at some point people may just not care about the underlying, you know, issuance of tokens, the inflation rate, the deflation rate. They may not care about the politics behind Bitcoin or the, any of the other coins, and they may just be looking to transfer value uh, with some sort of uh, uh, ledger sort of system. And that's where XLM and XRP may come into 
play and just be something that uh, there's a lot of transactions on for cheap and people are fine with that and they don't care about uh, the stability of or the centralization of the underlying system. And that very well could be the case. And it very well could be, you know, um, very reasonable, um, uh, let's see, uh, reasons to use that, I suppose. So at the end of the day, though, I do believe that there are going to be a lot of different cryptos. Uh, Okay, let me take that back. I shouldn't say a lot of different cryptos. I should say about a dozen or so. And the projects that I'm highlighting are probably ones that will be around in some form or another. And there will be about a dozen, maybe up to 20 that operate around the world that can communicate or that can be transferred between blockchains in some cases, maybe atomic swaps, maybe inter-blockchain communication. And so it's really going to be something I feel that is a network of cryptocurrencies and crypto assets that move within these systems in very ubiquitous ways. And so as we kind of close our eyes and think about the next 10, 15, 20 years as this crypto space develops, I do think it'll be across the world. I do think that a lot of these cryptos and a lot of these platforms will become the hub or the backbone of the banking systems for small countries, especially um, potentially even big countries like the United States and Western countries. I think it'll take time for it to completely, you know, displace, you know, current systems. But I do have a feeling that it very well may. Now, there is still work to be done. There is still work to be done in the politics, the economic theories, the regulations, the laws, the technology. But it is a system that has the potential to actually, you know, displace um, to some extent traditional banking. And it may be the transition of, you know, banking that happens, you know, every 40 or I should say currency that happens somewhere along the lines of every 40 years or so. And we're a little bit overdue for that at this point. So we'll get it too much into the politics and the history of, you know, currency and banking and so forth. But we may very well be in a new era and over the next 10, 20 years, we may be looking at something very, very differently. Uh, we may be looking at currency and banking very, very, very differently. A lot of the tools that we have in the current financial system will still be in existence, and they will probably be adopted and adapted to the decentralized finance space and crypto. And so a lot of things will look the same, but the underlying architecture and network may be uh, very different. And it may take on something like we see in social media as far as scale, you know, where billions of people use social media and billions of people use decentralized finance. And that may just be a normal thing. And I think that we're headed towards that. I mean, that maybe that sounds overly optimistic, but being in this for nearly, you know, about uh, nine years at this point, I am seeing signs that uh, that's where we're headed. So with that, and this being a very long uh, podcast, I hope you enjoyed it. I hope it was insightful. And as always, you know, check out the website at blackchain.co. Go to the YouTube channel, subscribe. Right now I'm uploading all of the podcasts to that, but at some point I might make some additional video content. Um, Like on Facebook, follow uh, Twitter as well, and SoundCloud. And you can also find the podcast on iTunes. And if you want to review it and, you know, give it some positive uh, feedback, and that's always encouraging. But with that, I will close out this podcast and... I will see you next time.